Welcome to Fran Path Consulting Podcast. I'm Sam Schweitzer. And I'm Brittany Bodie. And we are Fran Path Consulting. Hey, Britt. Hi, Sam. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. I'm doing really well. Thanks. So we're a month in to 2022. How are you feeling? Feeling good. How are you feeling so far? You know, I'm feeling really good, to be honest with you. And I do think it's, I mean, I don't know if it's a placebo effect or not, but I think it's quite a bit to do in part with the gratitude stuff that we've been doing, kind of the reframing work that you and I have both done as part of our January challenge together. I think it's been a lot of fun just to focus on positivity. You know, I think sometimes there's a lot of negativity out in the media, in the world. And so I think it's been nice just to focus on positivity and kind of recenter, if you will. Yeah, there's enough negativity. And I think it gets a lot of attention and it takes a lot of our attention and it can bring your energy down. And I do think, you know, I do fall into the woo-woo category probably <laughs> a little bit, admittedly, more than you do. Um, and so I was excited that you were loving this challenge and, and enjoying it as well. It was really great. It was good to set some goals and think about all the positive things to come in 2022 for us too. Absolutely. And future thinking is is fun, but learning to be present is really just equally as important. And I think one thing that we talked about ahead of the podcast today was just wanting to kind of share one of the biggest lessons that we learned through this challenge, which is reframing some of those negative thoughts or reframing those thoughts where you go down the path of the worst things that could happen. And we learned through this challenge to do that and really just kind of in a few easy steps. One is identify that. Two is acknowledge it and forgive yourself for having a thought like that. And then the third one, which is super neat, is just thinking not like, nope, that's never going to happen, but just, okay, what's the next best thought? It doesn't have to be that I'll be a millionaire by tomorrow or that I'm going to do this, that, or the other thing, or magic is going to happen because it's hard to actually believe that when you're a logical person, but just what's the next best thing besides that? And I think that's important, not only in our business, but as we work with people who are you know, new to becoming business owners, I think that's a, an important practice for everyone to keep in mind. Certainly, because business ownership is full of ups and downs. You know, It's not unicorns riding on rainbows every single day. So having the ability to take a day where it might be you know, horse, S-H-I-T, instead of unicorns and rainbows and reframe it to, okay, it doesn't smell that bad and tomorrow is definitely going to be better. I couldn't agree more. Well, it's been a great week and I'm really excited to bring on our guest today to talk about an exciting concept that's new and also just share a lot of experience in the franchise space. These are franchise veterans. They have so much knowledge to share with our listeners. So today I'd love to welcome Justin Guevara and Cliff Nonnenmacher, and they are investors and partners in Island Fin Pokey. So welcome you guys. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We're so happy that you're here. So thanks so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule today. We're thrilled to have you. Yes, thanks we're, for joining us, you guys. We're grateful for you to have us. Thank you. We'll, we'll share in the gratitude for sure. Yeah, I love the intro. 
Love it. Thanks, you guys. So you guys have been instrumental in Britt and I kind of learning our way through switching to the consulting side and doing some of those things. And you have been so incredibly helpful to us from a gratitude standpoint, you know, not only just as mentors, but as people that are in the industry that didn't have to be. And we're incredibly appreciative of that. Would you guys walk us through? Because your story is not linear in franchising at all. I would love for both of you to walk us through kind of how you ended up where you are today on the investor side and then all of the other things that you guys have your hands in in franchising. I'll start. It's been a fun journey. I would say so basically my entire career has been in franchising, which is kind of rare. I think most people get involved in franchising later on in life. Brittany, you might be able to say the same. Spent most of your career in franchising. Absolutely. I owned my I owned my first franchise when I was 23. I went to college at St. John's University and made a conscious decision while in school that I didn't want to work for anyone. So Jerry Maguire was the popular movie at the time. And my goal was to be a sports agent. I went to school for sports management and then learned that I had to go to law school and just did not want to rack up you know, student loan debt and all that and wanted to work for myself. So at the time I was working for a small personal training uh, studio in Long Island called PTI, Personal Training Institute. They had nine locations. And I was working with Paul John Muscatella, who you both know, he's now on our Frenacity team as a consultant. And they had just started franchising. So we were managing their locations and we wanted to own a franchise. And every couple of weeks, we would approach the founder and ask him to take us out to lunch and uh, tell him that we want to own a franchise. And he would always appease us and take us out and say, hey, you know, let me know when you guys have $300,000 to invest. You know, you can own one of our franchises. And we had, we had nothing, literally nothing. So one day he called us up and said, hey, meet me at Starbucks. I have an amazing offer for you. And the offer was the worst location in the system located out east of Long Island. I'm going to sell it to you guys for a lot of money. And it was a horrible deal, uh, but we were so excited because it was an opportunity and we were young and hungry and wanted to own businesses. We were passionate about the model and knew that the model worked. And it was such a bad deal, even after negotiating it, we couldn't get an attorney to represent us in the deal. I mean, it was a horrible deal, but we had nothing to lose. We were young. We had zero assets, living at home. Um, We did the deal and we worked our butts off 90 hours a week. And within a year, we were the number one franchise in the system. And that was the beginning of our journey. That's actually where we met Cliff, who became VP of Franchise Development at, uh, at PTI. Cliff, I don't know if you want to take your, your journey and the rest of our journey from there. Yeah, that's great. That's actually where we met. Well, people always ask, like, how did you guys meet? You know, your family? We actually met at uh, Personal Training Institute. Um, I, uh, my, my start, I was a, uh, investment banker. That's how I started. So I've been a pretty much an entrepreneur my whole life. I've always been self-employed. A lot of people don't know this about me. Right. Um, I used to own a food delivery business on Marco Island, Florida, which I used to deliver for McDonald's. I was one of the first third party delivery companies for McDonald's. This is 1990. You were the person who basically, and we did it on a three mile by six mile Island. So it was very easy to get the vehicles around and get up into the condos, et cetera. And I, I basically knew everyone. It was a very small island. It was only 10,000 annual residents, but about 30,000 
uh, in, in peak season, December through Easter. So I had about 14 restaurants. I delivered uh, prescription drugs. We delivered auto parts. If you've ever been to Marco Island, it's pretty marooned out there and there's nothing there. You, everything has to be brought in from Naples, Fort Myers. I used to deliver breakfast every morning to a hotel, which was called Club Regency. And one day I hear I'm delivering my 7 a.m. We would do deliveries from 7 a.m. all the way to 2 a.m. So we worked around the club. There was no rest in that business. So I walk into this building and the woman goes, I see you on the road at 2 a.m. delivering chicken wings to drunk people, right? And, I, <laughs> and she's, she says this to me, and you could tell she's very angry. She goes, I have, and the reason she's angry, she goes, I have a guy on the Gulf of Mexico on my beach, right? We're, we're Gulf side. She goes, I just got a $10,000 fine because he put a jet ski in the, the, the protected sea oats, right? You know those little sea oats that grow that keep mm -hmm. the, the beaches together when the waves come in? Yeah. She goes, why don't, why don't you put a proposal in and take over my beach concession? So I did. I ended up taking over her beach concession. I took over the parasol boats at the Hilton, Hilton Grand Vacation. I opened up in the Jersey Shore. I had parasol boats, jet skis, you name it, everything. Uh, and then just started from cleaning cars to delivering food to parasailing jet skis. And then, of course, I'm wearing flip-flops, feel somewhat like a loser. Even though I'm making money, everyone else is wearing suits and ties. And I said, I got to start investing. I started day trading in the very early 90s. I had a little satellite system on the side of my house, which was a DTN network that would let me see level two trading so I could see bid and ask. I was doing good, took my portfolio to Wall Street and got jobs from every firm. They're like, look, we, we want you on board. I ended up taking a job with Solomon Smith Barney, which I thought was premier. Remember John Houseman, we make money the old fashioned way. I was very proud of that. Worked there for several years, managed about 250 million. And thanks to a cheap suit, a manager in corporate America who would not let me have my own printer in my office. He wanted me to walk all the way through the building, 6,000 square feet on a network, one network printer where all the brokers had their printing materials. He goes, you want a printer? You buy it, you pay for it. So I did, didn't know what that meant. $150 replacement cartridge later, I realized, holy crap, this is expensive. I went to Barnes and Noble for lunch and I found a franchise handbook and I find a company in Australia that reverse engineers printer consumables. Got on the phone, spoke to him. I ended up quitting my job at Smith Barney, right? I'm a million dollar producer there. Everyone thought I was out of my mind. And I bought the master franchise rights to Cartridge World for the state of New York and Connecticut. Scaled 36 units and, and literally three years, blew it up fast. Um, and then sold it to my existing business partners who we really weren't getting along. I had one way of doing things, they had another. Um, and my wife was pregnant and then I ended up at PTI. So I said, look, let me do something that doesn't require a lot of travel, something easy, something local, raise my son. My son is Chase, my wife is Nicole. I bumped into this rock star. He was number one in the system. There was some failing locations. So I approached Justin saying, look, let's buy these failures, let's turn them around and let's sell them. So our start was buying failure, right? And then doing what we do, right? Is the business failing? No, the fundamentals of the business are perfect. Where's the problem? It's always operator, right? 
it's always, it really is. If you really look at, are the, are the fundamentals of hamburgers intact? Are the fundamentals of house cleaning intact? Are the fundamentals of electricians intact? Yeah, it usually comes down to why are you failing? You're failing because you're the failure. Yeah, the run out of runway, you're not following the model. And that's what we found, right, Justin? Every person we bought out for, by the way, pennies on the dollar. We were right. buying $300,000 gyms for 25 grand. It's, it's we hard to say guy, we were buying the businesses. We were taking them over, basically. We were buying them for pennies. Wow. But we had one guy literally. But, but, but we were helping people. Grand. We were helping save the franchisor's attrition. We were helping people get out of their you know, 10-year personal guarantees on their leases. And we viewed it as an opportunity. So it, it was good for everyone involved, for sure. Oh, definitely. We took these failures. They were kicking off 8000 a month. Our goal was just to kick off six, six figures a year and then sell it at a multiple. So we would pay nothing for it and sell it for a quarter million in less you than a year. You also have to say we would not have been that successful. So people are going to say, wow, like this, what a great opportunity in franchising. We were so successful because we were intimately familiar with these business models. We knew the businesses really well. We were easily able to go in, diagnose what's wrong, right? When we talk about lack of execution, what is that franchisee not doing correctly? How, how are they not executing properly? And what could we do differently to efficiently turn them, get them cash flowing and sell them again? And we did it several Multiple times, times yeah. successfully. Yeah, it was great, it was fun. And that, that's how we met, that's how we solidified a relationship. That's where we realized we're completely calibrated. I mean, we're generation, we're separated by 11 years, right? But to me, it's like a, there's a baby boomer trapped in that millennial body. <laughs> <laughs> It's here. It, it's it's weird to hear Brittany refer to us though as veterans because there was a time in my career when I was the young guy in franchising, mm -hmm. and now here we are, fifteen years, twenty years later, talking about this journey. So much with for gray that. hair. It's right, incredible. Right, with, gray hair, with a gray beard, yeah. So after you moved out of the fitness space, where did you go next? Because I met you on a couple of tracks later, and I've known you guys for about seven years. So what? Where'd you go from fitness? From fitness, we went to uh, restoration, pure clean. Yeah, we did a few things, flipping some houses and ended up moving. And then I brought Justin down. So I went to pure clean. I got a call one day. I think it was actually uh, uh, Andrew Horton, right? You know, Andrew. Yeah. Yes. He's like, listen, do, do you, I, I, I have a friend, Rory O'Dwyer. Do you want to talk to him? He needs a, a VP of, of development. So I, of course, right? We know all these folks. You know this industry. It's very small. So uh, hooked up with them. Really enjoyed Rory. Loved the organization. Moved. Sold my house, which I wanted to move to South Florida anyway, because as you know, I, I was down here with my beach businesses. I'm from Marco Island, Naples. I really enjoyed Florida. And my wife and I looked at each other and said, the best quality of life we ever had was Florida. Let's go back. Our family was there. We now have a baby. So it was great. Went to, went to uh, Pure Clean. Learned that business, brought Justin down, saying, hey, man, you got to come down here. It's Florida. Like, get out of Long Island. Come down here. You're young. This place, you're going to love this place. He comes down. I ended up becoming executive vice president. He's now VP of development. So we're back again, even though we're employees now, we're back again working with each other, but we're always looking to be self. We can't work for people. We just can't, <laughs> right? This, this, it, we just can't. It, 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 just, it just doesn't work. You're always being pulled in this direction you're always being just i don't know what it is it's like a calling right 
where you just can't work in someone else's ballpark, someone else's culture. You have to create your own. Plus, when you have a job too, you like, is this as good as it gets? Like, it just keep hitting your head on a glass ceiling. And I feel like compensation is structured, bonuses are, you know, you know how two stars and a planet need to line up to hit your full bonus potential in corporate America. I mean, they give you this amazing, you know, package, and to hit it is a is a, is a, a dream. So we ended up, of course. We're not even on the job how long? Maybe three to six months. We get this kid. He comes to us. He's a kid. He's like, look, I have a lot of experience in restoration, but I need someone to financially back me. I said, why don't you fly down? Go, come to dinner with Justin and I. Let, let's see if there's something there, right? It was in Maryland. So this guy flies down. We go out to dinner. We, we like him. We like what he's saying. We like what we're hearing. We like his style. We like his just his temperament because it was it's restoration. We ended up putting a deal together. This young kid ended up doing over a million dollars in revenue in his first year. And by the way, one of the highest margin businesses that I think exists in franchising. Your net in, in restoration could be 40% net. I mean, it's, it's unheard of. Very simple business to execute. This kid killed it. He ends up doing over two and a half million over the next two years. And he ended up buying us out for millions of dollars, right? So we get bought out by the kid, right? So he ends up getting an SBA loan and, and we're, we're gone. So we're, here we are back now. And so he and I look at each other. We're going to stay here. We just peeled off this investment after 36 months, made a ton of money. What do you want to do? Do you want to stay here? Or you want to go? And of course, we meet Brittany, right? And make an acquisition there uh, and uh, you know, scaled that for, I think, maybe a year or two. I forget exactly how long we were there. Let's just say it was a year or two on that gig. Weren't really crazy about that space, right? That wasn't necessarily the space for us, a good fit. Master franchising was a perfect fit for us. I guess the industry was just a different fit. It wasn't like restoration cleaning. It was a different type of cleaning. And then but, we peeled that off. But, but learned a lot about ourselves, right? For what was probably our least successful business, for mine for sure learned a ton about us, who yeah. we are as people, what types of employees are we good at managing, right? When you talk about simple and sophisticated labor, it's like all of these little things led to the next step, which was consulting and really being able to speak to our experiences, both successful and, and not so successful. What mistakes did we make along the way? It was kind of a mistake, but we viewed this failure, quote unquote failure, as as a massive learning experience and, and just right, and just risk mitigation strategies right how to properly get into and out of a deal making sure you're not going to get hurt too badly and you're able to move on i think people assume that you know every business is right for everyone and i really like that you recognize there that you know this one wasn't a right fit and you were able to take that experience and put it into consulting so you've been very successful at being consultants. We have a lot of respect for you. We always say you're the gold standard in what you do. And so what made you decide to move away from, you know, just working on the franchisor side and being franchisees and master franchisees to now helping others become entrepreneurs? What kind of drove that decision? Go ahead, Justin. That, that opportunity came to us like many things do, right? We're always open to things coming to us uh, in, in life. And it presented itself as an opportunity. And 
we kind of went back and forth. It, it was during a, a, an interesting time with the cleaning business where we were thinking about next steps anyway. And it was going to be kind of an interim thing, right? Let's use this as a little transition. Let's do some, some consulting work and help other people. And it ramped up really, really quickly and quickly turned into like us looking at each other like, this is it. N not only did, were we really good at it, it was so enjoyable for us, yeah. right? Like there's nothing to us more rewarding than being able to leverage our own experiences to helping other people accomplish their own entrepreneurial lifestyle, financial goals to provide better futures for themselves and their, and their family, helping people who may be in a bad situation in corporate America realize that there's this other option that's totally achievable. And it was just rewarding for us in so many ways and really quickly turned into a full-time gig for, for both of us. And I don't, I don't want to speak for you, Cliff, but I think you'd echo that. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, we're capitalists, but at the end of the day, we have rules, right? There's a mandate that needs to be followed and hurting people is not one of them. There's a lot of things we could have done over the years to make quick money and just said, no, that's not what we're about. I would argue that Justin may be the most honest person that I've ever met in my life, which is why the partnership works so well. I mean, our lives are so commingled. I mean, we own multiple pieces of real estate. We have the business, we have assets commingled. Our retirement trust is commingled. Like we're commingled, you know what I mean? We're like married almost. It's in this weird way, right? It's like, man, I think I have as many assets commingled with him as I do my wife. It's, so it's, <laughs> it's trust, trust, right? Is that foundation. Without it, you have like nothing. You have nothing if you don't have that. We've done so many deals. We moved so much money around. We've done so much with each other and never has any of any person like stepped out of line. So when you look at consulting, it's just really a perfect fit, right? Could I have been a nurse? Yeah, but I wouldn't have enjoyed it. I want to help people genuinely. I want to help people, but that's not for me. Like what profession can you get into where it checks all your boxes? You want to create wealth, right? You want to be happy. You want freedom. You want a legacy. Like I'm almost 50. You start thinking about your legacy. I'm going to be 50 next year, next March. So you start to think about your legacy. Like what have I done? How have I improved people? Where's my mother Teresa quote where when people interact with me, they feel better about themselves. And you know what I mean? Like where, what am I doing? I feel that we're leaving our mark on lots of entrepreneurs where, you, you know, well, then people would say, well, some of those people failed. And then, yeah, that's on them. That, uh, back to the fundamentals of the business. What, what's wrong with hamburgers? Oh, no one sells hamburgers anymore. What are you talking about? You failed. That's on you. That's not on me. I put you in a business that's sound and conceptual, had a perfect framework for success. You blew it. That's on you. So you know, we're really teeing up a lot of people. People will fail. That's obvious. You know, Business isn't perfect. But we're putting people in businesses and aligning their personalities and background and skill sets with those brands. And it's true, just I made a comment a little, a little bit ago about just like coaching people. Do you know how, when you talk about learning about yourself, I don't do well with, with, with minimum wage employees. I just don't. I don't do well. Do you know how many people I meet in our business where I look at them or hear them and say, I could tell you right now, you're not going to do well with minimum wage people. Or it's just a conversation I'm having with you where I could sense you're not going to do well managing a $10 an hour employee. 
when you spend the last 30 years managing people making a minimum of a quarter million at Amazon, right? So it's like when you say, it's amazing to me how people don't know themselves. It's quite shocking, really. If you, you're on the phone with someone, they come to you and go, yeah, I want to own a UPS store. No, you don't. Uh, you're on the phone with them. I'm, I'm thinking about a subway. What do you need to earn? 250? Well, you're not buying a subway. I wouldn't buy a subway even if it made 250. You know what I mean? When you start to think about these things, when you're coaching folks, and I'm always amazed how they come on where I'm buying this, and then two statements later, you're right. I don't want it anymore. <laughs> wow. What, what conviction you have in that idea. <laughs> I say two things, you're done. Like, just roll over. I'm out. It's like that scene from Tommy Boy, right? Don't take no for an answer. Don't take no for an answer. The first thing the guy says is no. Goodbye. Have a good day. And he leaves. <laughs> it's like, like how, much, how could you really believe in that? You know? So I think what we provide is just that discipline, that, that perspective of we've been here before. We know what it feels like to slide a check across the table for half a million to buy a brand, right? We know what it feels like. And I know what that pillow conversation sounds like with my spouse when you make these moves, right? So we know what it feels like, what it looks like. Just every fiber of our being knows what you're going through. And that human connection really helps our business because we connect with people. And we're also not afraid to tell them, we're the experts. You're not the tail wagging this dog. You don't even, you came to me to buy Subway. I mean, who wants <laughs> yeah, to, tuna fish? To, to make an overarching statement, there's no doubt that people buy franchises or want to buy a franchise for all the wrong reasons. Cliff and I are disciplined investors. We have a criteria that we do not deviate from when investing in businesses. Like I spoke to a client this morning who said, I have 15 minutes for this consultation. Is that enough? And I said, absolutely not. He's like, why? I, I know what I want. And I go, you think you know, but I promise you after asking a half a dozen questions and me being able to analyze your specific investment objectives, we're probably going to go down a different path, right? And it's so because you eat $5 footlongs every day for lunch, not a good reason to buy a franchise because your your uncle owns one not a good reason because he's probably very different than you he's a former b2b vp of sales you're an engineer what's right for him is not right for you so really being able to get disciplined with people and asking them questions that we're always amazed it's like you haven't thought about this yet like you're preparing to invest a quarter million dollars in a business and you haven't put thought into how are you going to fund it how much time can you commit to it? If you're not running it, who is? How much money do you want to earn? Like, what should your role be, right? Just like all of these things. It's, it's amazing. But that's where we add value. That's the point of a consultant. Absolutely. I love that. You guys took us from Mother Teresa to Tommy Boy and back again. <laughs> it's an eclectic bunch. That, Absolutely. That's, that's what Cliff will do. <laughs> so you guys, I just think the perspective that you gave us there is so valuable, which is, a lot of people don't know what they want or they think they know and immediately do an about face. That's something we've experienced a lot as well. Now, you guys are people that want a lot of things in a lot of different arenas. So you've been successful in fitness. You've been successful in restoration. You've been master franchisees. You've been consultants. And now you found yourself in the food space as investors and on the development and VP side with Island Fin. Can you talk to us about what led you there? 
Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So back to discipline, right? And just evolving as people, as business owners, we, you, you quite rightly laid it out. Like you've been here, you've done that. They're kind of steps, if you will, right? It's, they seem to be, you know, you did something on your own with like delivering food. Sounds cute, right? What did you really make doing that with your little truck driving around Marco Island? And then you step up a little bit, you do the beach concession and expand. And then you step up a little bit and you own a single unit franchise. Then you own a multiple unit franchise. And then you get into master franchising. To us, this was a logical evolution, which would be this. Either create your own brand or acquire an a, a equity stake in one that you truly believe in. That again, back to your value systems, back to your discipline. Does this business, Island Fin, align with your investment objectives? And the answer is yes. Does it have de-skilled labor? Yes. Does it have limited to no inventory? Yes. Is cash paid on demand of the time of service? Yes, right? All these things. Is it recession resilient? Yes. When you bought it, did you know COVID was coming? No. How did it do during COVID? Remarkably well. We grew through COVID. So as investors, we look at each other and go, did you see that coming? No. Did you ever hear of the word or phrase essential service in your lifetime? No. Pandemic Guess what? We're essential business. services now. Right. What, I'm sorry, what was that? Everyone's always talked about wanting recession resilient businesses. Now there's this whole other category of pandemic COVID resilience that people want to talk about. And, and it's true, you just happen to be in the right place at the right time. But there's no doubt that QSR, fast casual, not all food, right? The dine-in, sit-down restaurants suffered. There's no doubt. But when you look at a brand like Chipotle, right, we're certainly not where they are right now, but that brand has thrived through COVID. I mean, their stock is trading like over $1,800 a share. I want to say it's like a $50 billion company. Over $60 billion. De yeah. Delivering, delivering food. So right place, right time was our brand was 65% delivery and takeout before COVID. So COVID hits, everyone's turning on online ordering, people are grabbing food and going, or we're delivering. And we've had franchisees that broke daily, weekly, and monthly sales records through COVID. Obviously That's we didn't, we didn't see incredible. that coming, but yeah, it went well. It really That's... is. And it is, Brittany, it is so simple to execute. There is no, listen, there is no flame. There is no grill. There's no broiler. There's no deep fryer. There's no hood. There's no fire retardant system. This is arguably one of the easiest food concepts that you can execute. And I, and I tell everyone this because, because I, where Sam was going was, you know, this is a difficult space to tap into, right? I mean, this is, people don't like food. We're consultants, you're consult people have this thing about food. No one rejects food. They reject the complexities of running a restaurant. That, and most consultants actually, listen, you, you would be shocked to hear this. I would say that 80% of the franchisees of Island Finn told their broker, no food. Can you imagine that? Most brokers roll over, adhere to that, and pivot and say, okay, okay, I hear you right? Because you're running the show, not me, because I'm new at this, or I was a displaced manager. I've never been in business before. And I don't know what I'm doing. So let me let the client tell me how to do this. So what do they do? They go back to picking some other brands, right? Instead, we say to them, no, you're not understanding. Everybody likes food. It's Food is a dream gig. It is. 
You can consume it three times a day. I tell people all the time, pick one, own a food concept or a mattress. Do you want a once in every four hour buying cycle or once in a nine year buying cycle? I, I want to be in food. I don't want to be in a mattress business, right? Who wants, can you imagine? I like things that you could just do right now, multiple times a day. So I love food. We're not food guys. We, we hate food. I could give you a laundry. I could talk myself out of food in like seven seconds, right? Perpetual job hoppers, right? De-skilled labor, minimum wage, entry level, minimum wage, perishable items, shrinkage. Who's giving free food away to their friends constantly? Happens all the time. Uh, hey, this didn't sell. What is this worth? Uh, about 2000, throw it in the garbage. I used to work for McDonald's, right? I, I used to work there. I used to take all the food and throw it in the garbage repeatedly. Now, granted, that's like throwing ramen noodles out because it's only worth two cents. But still, we're, we're talking about AAA grade sushi. It's a big difference, right? It's a big difference. So we, we, we have a model at Island Fin where when, you start to, when you're an investor and you start looking at the attributes of an Island Fin, you're going, time out. This seems really easy. You're right. I'm not rejecting food. I'm rejecting all the complexities with my head trash that I have about food. Uh, do I have to go in at 7 a.m. to open up for lunch? No, wrong business, not us. We don't have people on payroll before we generate a dollar in revenue. We have people prepping while the doors are open and doing their thing maybe an hour or two before we open for business. A typical restaurant, have you ever during the holidays uh, drove around your favorite restaurants, go get gift cards? It's 8 a.m. The place doesn't open until 5.30 and there's 16 people in there. Every time I walk in during the holidays to buy gift cards, I go, I don't want to be in this business. Look at all these people, one, two, seven, 12, 16. And I come in to buy a hundred dollar gift card. And I'm like, what time are you open for lunch? No, 5.30. That's why I don't want to be in a restaurant business. And then you got the late hours in the back end. Island Fin does not resemble any of those negative remarks. That's why we love it. Matter of fact, we've even gotten involved in some other things since then because we really like the recession and the COVID resilience of being in 900 to 1500 square feet, we were doing a half a million dollars with a locked front door curbside pickup and delivery during COVID. So, come on, not a lot of businesses can say that. A Carabas can't, they were shuttered. Outback can't, I mean, uh, TJI Fridays and Chili's can't say that. A lot of businesses cannot say that. Drive down Main Street of any town in America. There's no doubt you can't argue that food franchises are some of the most successful brands in the world. They are. The problem is when people come to franchising and exploring, they're thinking about the big million, $2 million fast food chains. They're huge investments, certainly not the best ROI, slim margins, a ton of labor. In general now, people are looking for low labor models. That problem is real. There's no doubt. And again, so Island Thin, while being a food concept, doesn't have any of those characteristics of restaurants. There's no dishwashers, there's no wait staff, there's no kitchen, no grill, no hood, no grease trap, no fryer, there's just none of that. So food is the vehicle. It's actually more retail than, than hospitality and food service. It, it really is. At low labor, two to three employees per shift, 10 to 15 per location, maybe 20 if you're going to be overstaffed. I don't know that you could find an investment level or that amount of labor in any food concept out there. You could do a million a year, Brittany and, and uh, Samantha, you could do a million a year with only two, three people working at the same time in pokey. It's a weapon. 
limited labor. And right now, that is so topical right now. Labor, la can I find staff? Can I find staff? Can I find staff? Yes. <laughs> because, listen to this consequence in a positive way of having limited labor in the food space. And I think this has been genius, like missiles and missiles defense when it comes to minimum wage risk. You all can relate to this statement. You walk into a small boutique restaurant, you place your order, they're tapping the screen, right? They're getting paid $15 minimum wage. The owner is biting their nails that they're getting paid $15 to, to say, you'll have a smoothie with bananas on it. That's worth $15. Give me a break, right? So they're going through this, tapping on the screen. Then all of a sudden, like magic, the screen turns to you. You're now in charge of the POS system, but you're only in charge of doing two things, tip and sign, tip and sign. And that has been the single greatest hedge to minimum wage risk in the hospitality space is that the point of sale system becomes the consumer's device and they are guilted before the product is even created into tipping. Our kids at Island Fin are doing 20 an hour in tips because there's only two to three people working on any given shift and they pull it and they carve it up. So you wanna talk about hedging minimum wage risk and a lot of people for your audience don't know this. Minimum wage, it's, it's not, one like vertical statement. It has a couple of branches on it. There's minimum wage and then there's hospitality temp income minimum wage. They're two different numbers. So when people go, I don't, I don't like minimum wage risk. Okay. Even in the state of California, I, right. Every, you say that name, right? Now, you know, I'm talking about the highest level of being feed to death. Even they don't have $15 minimum wage in the hospitality space. And as long as that tip income can get that 10, $12 an hour hospitality employee to 15 or higher, you're golden. So we have that. There's a lot, there's a lot in there, right? That could be a, a separate conversation on Island Fin, but there's a, there's a lot to like about the Island Fin, not to mention health benefits. The entire brand is uh, gluten-free, the entire brand down to the desserts, the caloric intake. When you look at each piece, the sum of all the parts and pieces of an Island Fin, you say to yourself, I want to look at that. And that's how we got there. Consume people are conscious consumers nowadays. So first we fell in love with the pokey space and now we're out trying to find the brand, right? So we have clients wanting to capitalize off of the growth in pokey saying, what brand do I get involved in? And we're like, well, it's highly fragmented. It's a young category. There's no McDonald's of pokey yet. So let's, let's start speaking to some founders. And we started working with some groups that had very little experience in franchising, were uncomfortable there, and met with uh, Island Fin Pokey. And for me, it was the little... So first of all, when it comes to food, the food has to be good. If, if the food's not good, you, don't ha you have nothing. And it was the, the best Pokey we had experienced in all of our travels around the country, uh, beta testing Pokey brands. Then it was the service. The service is exceptional. It is a high engagement brand where th the people behind the counter who are customizing your bowl for you know the ingredients. Everything is made fresh. They know what's in the sauces and the marinades, and they're able to explain what pairs well with different proteins. You don't take your bowl to your table. They take it to your table for you. There's no trash cans on the floor. They don't want the guests throwing away their bowl. They take it from you. Can I, can I refill your drink? Can I get you more sauce? Can I, it's a high engagement brand. We love that, right? It's just a way of setting yourself apart from the rest of them out there. 
And then it was, Mark, how are you sourcing your fish? Are you like dragging nets along the bottom of the ocean and scooping up dolphins? No, our tuna is caught on a single line, single hook. Everything is sustainable. Oh, but you have plastic in your brand. Don't worry about that, compostable plastic. But what about the bowls you use? Biodegradable packaging. Like they put thought into all of these little things that we care about. We're conscious investors. And I think a lot of other people do now. Those things go a long way. The majority of the menu is gluten-free. If you're keto, there's keto options. If you're vegan, vegetarian, there's vegetarian options. So like all of those pieces started coming together and we're looking at ourselves like, we never thought we'd be in food, but man, this is something we can get behind. This is a great brand. It's a great concept. We can't let this go, right? How many great ideas are there out there in franchising that don't go anywhere because they can't figure out how to grow? So when we were approached with, hey, can you guys help us grow? Well, like, we can't believe we're saying this, but yeah, we want to be involved in the food space with a brand like this. When you, you know, told me about the brand, Justin, uh, my background in franchising started in food. I was in food for seven years and you were like, I'm representing this and invested in this food concept. And I kind of went, I don't know, not sure I'll ever show that to our clients. But then all the things that you've shared with us today really changed my mind and got me excited about the concept because it's so different from the traditional restaurant space that I came from. So who is Loving Island Finn? Your consultants, you're representing this brand. Who are you seeing of your clients and other consultants' clients that are actually stepping forward and deciding that Island Finn is the right investment? Justin? I think it's best to start with what we don't need. We don't need restaurant hospitality experience. I want to say over 20 units open now, 50 units sold. I think one franchisee actually had a background in food. It's just completely unnecessary. And again, most people started this process saying anything but food. And here they are. We're amazed at how many of our franchise owners don't eat fish. Like, <laughs> so, right? Like this is a, it, it's a sushi brand. There's a lot of people that are like, I want nothing to do with it. But then when they experience the brand, right, again, they stay disciplined, just like the thousands of people out there that own supercuts, but don't know how to cut hair and never dreamed of owning a hair salon, which is completely fine. I don't know how to fix a car. I own a Meineke. Great, right? It's not about the service because you're not going to be fixing the car anyway. You're not going to be cutting hair and you're not going to be making bowls. You don't have to eat it, but you have to believe that there's demand for this type of model and you have to buy into the culture. You have to be a cultural fit for us and believe in who we are and what we're doing. And we've been very fortunate. We've been selective with who we're bringing in. We have a fantastic network of franchise owners that really are a good fit for who we are culturally. It starts from the top. Our founder, Mark Setterington, you know, we talk to a lot of franchisors all the time who approach us and want to franchise their businesses and ask for help. And I think we find that People want to franchise for the wrong reasons, right? Why do you want to? I mean, we've literally, why do you want to franchise? Because I'm in debt. I need to get out of debt. That's not a good reason to franchise your business. Why do you want to franchise? Because I'm tired of working a lot and I want other people to do all the work now. It doesn't work that way, right? So Mark uh, and his partner wanted to franchise for the right reasons. They obsess over the success of their franchise owners. 
He's a he's a passionate guy. He's high energy. And so we just we just bought into all that and kind of drank the Kool-Aid. So who are we looking for? People who want to be business owners, doesn't have to have a hospitality experience, people who have an interest in building an empire. This is totally a scalable model that could be scaled into multiple units over time. Similar, I mentioned Supercuts, it's just a great brand, right? Similar to that model where the average Supercuts owner owns, call it six locations, without really having to have a manager for each location running the salon because of the simplicity of, of the model, right? Your, your manager is a revenue generating asset on your PL and not a liability. It's similar to Island Fin. So people look at the model and say, okay, so if I own three locations, does that mean I have to have a $60,000 a year restaurant GM running each one? Absolutely not. Like what would they be doing in that store each day? There, there's not much to do. So the model is so simple that you could have a manager managing, overseeing multiple locations and each location is sharing in, in, the, in the salary for that manager. Totally scalable. The, the other thing I'll say is, this is a fun business. I mean, who doesn't want to be in a business where people are excited to come in, get some Dole Whip, get a fresh Poke Bowl, there's surfboards on the wall, total beachy vibe, reggae music playing. It's just a fun business to be a part of. So for someone who's sitting in that cubicle all day long or sitting at a desk behind a computer or tired of being on planes, working for crappy bosses, wants to be in more control of their future in a really fun, low investment, high reward business, Silence and pokey. Totally. Man, we should just stop there. <laughs> I don't want to speak after him now. <laughs> that was, well, you guys, I feel like I want to ask, like, are you registered in California? <laughs> we are. We're registered. We are. Right. Unlike a lot of young brands that say, I want to grow, grow, grow. And then you do a territory check with them and they go, oh, if you have a good candidate, we'll get registered there. I love those folks, don't you? Like no. You either get it or you don't. We're registered in every state but South Dakota, North Dakota, and Hawaii. As someone from North Dakota originally, I always try to not take that personally. <laughs> well, there were five people and then you left. So there's only four there now. I, it, it really is true. We all, And we all know the same people. My husband laughs, but you meet somebody in, in an airport and they're like, do you know so-and-so? I'm like, that's my first cousin. Right. <laughs> of course. Right. So you guys, you shared so many gems today. I, I just want to know, and I have kind of an idea given what you've already shared, what is your personal compelling reason to be involved in franchising for both of you? Freedom. For us, it's been freedom, right? It's, it's, that, it's that old quote where you're risking your money for freedom versus risking your freedom for the money, which is the paycheck, right? I could argue that the single greatest thing, that the most damaging thing that ever happened to anyone is the paycheck. It is the single greatest false sense of security ever. And most people spend a lifetime creating wealth for others and not themselves. And all they have is that paycheck. So they have cash flow, but there's nothing in the end to sell and cash in. There's no annuity. There's no pension anymore. I really don't understand the attraction of corporate America anymore, especially when they're really not doing what they should be doing, right? I mean, you're just getting a paycheck. So for me, it's always been freedom. It's been lifestyle. Um, I do love the freedom. I do love the flexibility. I feel like I'm never conflicted. I could be me, which is an acquired taste for some, right? Just being yourself, 
and not having to constantly modify your behavior in every little meeting you go into. Just be yourself, right? I mean, how many sit downs is someone going to have with me to say, please modify your behavior, right? This is who I am. Just let me be me. Let me do my thing and it'll work out for you, right? But everyone wants to put you in their box, right? What's corporate America's favorite second question? What are your weaknesses, right? It's their favorite second question. What are you bad at? I don't talk about what I'm bad at. I exploit my strengths. You want to do an interview and ask me what I'm bad at? That's corporate America. Let's talk about what you're bad at. I, I th I'm fascinated by that question, if you think about it, right? It tells you the culture, the mindset of corporate America robotics, right? What can we fix? What's wrong with you? What do you do wrong? Were you going to spend time fixing that? Like I'm 50. You're going to spend time on what I'm not good at or you want to exploit the things that I'm really good at? So when you ask that question, right, it is. It's comical. It's laughable. It's like I don't belong there. I am amazed. At, so when, when asked the question, what is your motivator? What's your driver? What is your why? Right? Why are we talking? And, and a lot of times people have to think about that again. But it, it's not about the money anymore. It's just not. It's about time. It's about autonomy. It's about flexibility with schedules. It's about wanting to spend more time with family. It's about being able to leave a legacy to children and feeling like you have a purpose. And people are tired of spending their careers working for other people, making them money. And we're never going to say it's easy because it's not. It's hard. It, you're going to work just as hard, if not harder. There's going to be a ton of obstacles along the way. But I could tell you it's, it's way more rewarding, like way more rewarding when all of that hard work and effort goes into building something that's, that's yours, right? I'm, I'm a runner. So if you've ever run a marathon or been at the finish line of a marathon, you see people, they finish this race and they'll usually you know, collapse, and then they start crying. And those emotions are not because they're tired and it's not because their body hurts. It's because they're thinking back at this journey that they just went on and all of the sacrifices that they made and all of the obstacles that they had to overcome to accomplish this goal. And that's the entrepreneurial journey, right? So unfortunately, I think sometimes people who are in bad situations in life or in their corporate jobs look at this difficult path forward and say, Eh, I'll, I'll just stay put. And that, that's, not, that's not the right reason to do something, right? It's like, no, the answer is feel, feel whatever's uncomfortable, feel the fear, the anxiety, whatever's holding your back and embrace it and use that as the motivator to get you up in the morning and go fight to win and be successful because there's no better feeling than when you've actually won in a business for yourself and your family. It's the best. It's the truth. That's that quote, right? Entrepreneurship's living your life like most living a few years of your life like most people won't. So you go live the rest of your life like most people can't, right? That's entrepreneurship in a nutshell. We do things that people go, oh, I don't want his lifestyle. You say that now, but wait till I cash in. And I, then I, you're the envy of the neighborhood. It's like, why do they have so much? I've been <laughs> reading a lot about the Stoics lately, and I don't know the exact quote, but I want to say it's Seneca is the Stoic. And the concept is, when you feel resistance, use that as a cue to go forward. Don't hide. Don't run from it. Lean into it. Go after it, right? It's going to be uncomfortable, that, but that doesn't mean don't do it. Like we see this all the time. Oh, well, someone else is looking at this franchise and 
they want the same territory. So maybe it's not meant to be. That doesn't mean it's not meant to be. If you want it, go after it, fight, take, go, go get it, right? Get aggressive. So how many people bail though? It goes to show you, they don't have the intestinal fortitude to be self-employed. Like that's it. You caved just like that. Yeah. Someone else wants a territory. It's just, they put their head down and walk away. It's just not meant to be. No, you make it meant to be. Go after it. Fight for it. Go, go wire the money. Sign the agreement. You want it? Grab it. All they said to you is that this half of those statements could be even questionable. I mean, it's like, do you not even know basic sales tactics? My goodness. Have you not sat through a timeshare presentation? What's wrong with you? This is the last unit left. Guys, you've been advertising the last unit left for like the last four years. Right? Oh, well, you guys have shared so many good things, but leave us with your best piece of advice that you've ever received that you'd be willing to share today. I'll let Confucius do it. Go ahead. That uh, that's it, right? When you feel resistance, go go forward, go after it. Go after the things that are challenging and difficult in life. Don't let that hold you back. And please don't think that corporate America is that comfortable place to be that's less risky because if people sat in our chairs every day and had the conversations that we have it's it's not that safe anymore there's no loyalty there so get out of your comfort zone get comfortable being uncomfortable and taking risks and go after making a change but you you got to make it happen you have to be willing to walk to the edge of the diving board and take the leap be disciplined Use professional guidance, right? Like people like like you two, for, for sure. Make smart decisions, but but just because there's butterflies in your stomach, don't let that hold you back. Get comfortable with the uncomfortable. Right on. Well said. I I think I'm raising a, a young man, right? So of course I'm always trying to leave him with I, I have little cliffisms, right? As little things that I say. I, I like my one liners. I I don't know that I have one thing, you know, to say, what's your, the best advice you've ever received. I can tell you that I think in business, because this is a business conversation, but I think in business and in life, people are weak and they need to be strong. And the best advice I could give anyone, if I could say one thing is never give up, right? Never, ever give up on what you believe in, on what you want. You want a healthier relationship? Fight like hell to have be a better spouse. You want to be a better parent? Fight like hell to be a better parent. I'm amazed at how many people just roll over. Be a good sister. Be a good brother. Be a good friend. Be a good business partner. Be a good consultant. Like, just be better and don't give up. Don't, don't, just because you had some adversity. So I like to refer to it as tactful persistence in the face of rejection, right? We're just constantly tactfully persisting even though we're being rejected repeatedly. So what? You're not right for me. I, I love that thing on like, you see it on Facebook all the time where the, you ever see this, where the dad gives this box car to his daughter in a barn. Anyone? No. I have. And the, and the, yeah. and the, 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 the dad gives it, you have, the dad gives us this car. This car is a mess. It looks like rats ate the wheels and the, the, the whole thing's a mess. So he goes, take this to, don't sell it. Take it to a pawn shop and see what you can get for it. Daughter says they gave me $600 for it. Okay, take that car to the dealership and see what they'll give you for it. They offered me $1,500 for it, right? 
take this now to a car collector or someone who does restoration and see what they'll give you for it. $150,000 dad, like her head explodes, right? Just because this company, right? It's an analogy, right? Just because this company doesn't see your value, right? Don't, don't go there. Go to the next one. They still don't see my value. Look at Howard Stern. He was valueless, right? Look at all these people that no one wanted in their life, right? The guy's doing $500 million contracts. Go where you wanted. Go where you could be used. Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't just give in and say, this is where I got to be. I'm making you know, $60. Just keep fighting. And I think I'll, that has a lot to do with our sexes. We just fight through everything. I'll say this too, because we're dealing with more people today, which is, which is awesome. Franchise investors who are, I feel like they're getting younger and younger, early 30s, late 20s, which is really cool and, and exciting and good to see. I'll say this. So I was given opportunities when I was really young. Right. And I was given opportunities that I really should not have had at that time. And I think the reason for that was even the, the smaller kind of meaningless hourly jobs, I took them all really seriously. Right. If you are at McDonald's, be the best fry cook, like no matter what your role is right now, take it seriously and be good at it because you never know who's watching. You never know who's going to be watching you be take that job really seriously and say, you know what? I see potential there. And I'm going to give this person an opportunity. So you may not feel like you're in the best place in life right now. Like Cliff said, fight to win, take every role, take advantage of every opportunity, take it all seriously, and opportunities will come to you. There's no doubt. It's true. One of my best hires was a kid in New York at a bagel place. I just love this kid. I'm like, this kid's great. And Wanta, Long Island, Justin, Wanta, right? I go, you're, you're unbelievable. He just went above it. Just everything about him was just perfect. I go... I gave him a business card. I go, we, we have to meet just for a cup of coffee. I own a business down the street. I think you'd be perfect. Boom. He's working with me, right? You're, oh, Barbara Walters wrote a book called Audition. And the reason she wrote the book, and that's the title, is because her theory is that every single day, every job you have, you are always auditioning for the next job. You just don't know it yet. Just like that kid at the bagel store. Did he aspire to do bagels and bialis? No, but he was the best at it. And he had fun with it. And he was, he had so much charisma and he was just great customer service, everything about him. Can you imagine being that impressed, buying a bagel in America? Like what? how good could he have been? He is the exception to the rule of mediocrity. And he stood out like this beacon of light. And it's like, dude, you have skills. I need to know you. You need to be with me. I'll never forget that kid, Josh. She was amazing. And he stuck with me for years. So yeah, you're always auditioning. You're always- You never know who's watching. It's so true. It's, it's actually, you know, you asked for one thing, we gave you five, but you know what? It's true. You could, you could spend a podcast on what advice have you been given that reshaped your life, right? I mean, there's not one thing. I heard something recently, which I thought it was great. This is advice. Think of this. This was actually advice. Be careful who you share good news with. Like, whoa. You want to know who your friends are? If you want to know who's on your side, share good news with them and you will know in blinding clarity who your friends are, share good news with them. Oh, must be nice, right? Or that genuine pull you in, hug you. I'm so proud of you, you deserve it, you work so hard. Oh, must be nice, okay, right? Share good news with someone, you know who your friends are very quickly. Justin, I'm glad I entertained you this evening, this afternoon. <laughs> I'm glad this was an afternoon at the improv. My, 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 my takeaways, you don't even wanna see what my takeaways are here from, uh, from what you said. <laughs> All I want to say is this. 
I took a lot of notes and wow. So you've been listening uh, to the podcast. <laughs> I have. You two are fabulous. Love it. And we're honored and uh, very appreciative of being invited on your call. So thank you. Thank, thank you, guys. you guys so much. We really appreciate it. And we had a lot of fun today. So thank you. you got thank it. you so much you. for joining us. Bye now. Britt, that was just another great one. And it reminded me the no loyalty really reminded me of something my dad said to me when I was seeking advice about a position. And he said, put your, fill your sink up right now. And I said, okay, put your hand in that sink in that bucket of water and then take it back out and tell me that's the impression that, that they're going to have when you leave. It doesn't matter. They're going to keep moving on. They're going to keep doing everything in their business. Now, you, you have an, an impression on your own business. It's like putting your hand in cement. It's going to be there. And it just reminded me again that, you know, while there's no loyalty, there's also no equity in most positions in corporate America. This was a great episode. I laughed a lot. It was fun to have them and looking forward to next week. Yes, absolutely. If you guys enjoyed this, you want to learn more about Island Fin, about what we all do as consultants, please make sure that you follow us weekly here on our Fran Path Consulting podcast that is on Spotify and Apple. Follow Fran Path Consulting on Facebook. Follow us at Fran Path on Instagram and LinkedIn. If you want to learn more about business ownership and really find out if it's right for you, please take our free assessment at franpathconsulting.com. We look forward to seeing you next week.